Dub Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. You're in for a treat today, guys. We have the one and only Ben Coomber coming up on this podcast. Now, who is Ben? Ben Coomber is a UK leading nutritionist and general leader in the UK fitness and health space with 12 years under his belt and a strong social media following. If you're a PT or a fitness professional, it's very likely you would have heard of Ben Coomber before. His podcast, The Ben Coomber Radio, is often featured as the iTunes number one UK health and fitness podcast. His fantastic supplement line, Awesome Supplements, makes the best taste in vegan protein globally. It is delicious. And that business continues to grow from strength to strength. Ben's professional nutritionist course, the BTN Academy, is considered one of the best you can take and is incredibly insightful. But moreover, Ben is a relatable and pragmatic real guy who believes in balance, honesty, dealing with our vulnerabilities, and getting after your dreams. So it was an absolute pleasure to head over to see Ben and record this special interview where we peer into Ben's life a little and expose some perspectives that he has not shared before on his podcast or his general talks and presentations. So the things that we cover range from understanding where Ben sits on the quote-unquote health spectrum, how Ben deals with balance versus optimal, what he thinks about health, how does he tread the line between motivating people versus judging them? What is his self-talk like? Is he always positive and nice to himself? Does he believe in happiness or is it a fallacy and a fleeting moment? What ways does Ben rely on to get into flow state and what needs to change in order to help navigate this ever noisy and stressful information age? Guys, absolutely fantastic discussion. I'm sure you're gonna enjoy it and you're gonna to wanna to hear more from Ben. And if so, check out the show notes where you'll find his podcast, website, and other social media links. Enjoy, guys. So we've known each other for coming up about a year now. Not when I say know each other, in the, in the looser sense of the term. Do I, do I need an anniversary present? <laughs> I brought one, right? You haven't opened it yet. <laughs> but we, uh, you were gracious enough, Ben, to give me some time when I was thinking about entering into both doing podcasts and generally expose myself to the fitness space, coming from an IT background before. And that, when people do things like that, it really sticks on me, right? It makes a massive difference because you didn't need to spend time with me and kind of give me some guidance and exposure to the world I was letting myself into. I apologise for being hungover. <laughs> it was right, man. We had a mean breakfast. We did, we did, yeah. It was good. Mopped it up. And do you do that kind of thing regularly? Do you do you see it as part of your giving back to the industry to just expose people to what's ahead or give them some business coaching? Don't do it often. Um, not, not for free anyway, because you know, advice is uh, is valuable and is a big part of my business. Um, I think 
in life you just generally get a feel for people and you know through the way that people contact uh someone the angle that they're coming from the motives that they've got what they're trying to achieve long term you just have to have a sense of like do you know what i think this person's worth meeting i'm happy to give up my time um uh, I, I almost want to go. There has to be an urge to want to. Mm. And, you know, there's been many occasions where, you know, an email's come across my lap or something and I'm like, you know, what this person's doing is cool. Like, I feel I could help them or it will it will maybe be of value to me at some point in time. And I think I just got a sen sense for that. Um, so no, don't do it often, but I think you've got to know when to take that chance, um, have that conversation. You don't know where it's going to lead yourself. And you've got to give back as well. Um, but of course, you only want to give back to the receptive ears. Like everyone wants advice. Everyone wants to pick your brain and yeah. stuff. And, you know, you could keep every hour of every day giving advice for people to pick your brain. So when someone comes to me and it's like, whatever I say, this person's going to take that advice and use it positively. They're actually going to action on it. That's when I'm very willing to give that time up because it, it you know, you don't feel bad about giving the time because yeah, it's going to be used. Like action is there. So when I reached out to you, Ben, I reached out to Mike Matthews. Um, I reached out to the guys from Mind Pump and several others, and um, it was it blew me away that you responded as well as those those other two, and it just made me realise that there's whilst this industry is so it's busy, mm. there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of scarcity mindset of like, you know, I can't let people know my secrets or what I'm doing. Mm. You know, everyone's a competitor. When you get that maturity from others that, you know, want to help, realize that solving the health issues that we have isn't a one man's pursuit or one woman's pursuit, but we've got to all get at it together and having the right people around you sharing similar messages and getting after a similar pursuit that just really buoyed me when i was entering into this space going you know what there are good people out here who aren't just going to be you know stab stabbing you in the back and looking out for their own and not willing you on so look, i just wanted to say personally and deep down i'm grateful for the time you've given me not just in that one one moment though the reason i reached out to you ben is because the content you've been putting out for probably about a year beforehand I was consuming mm -hmm. your podcast primarily some of the stuff that I'd seen online your Facebook stuff and it's a really positive and I think pragmatic discussion around health nutrition so my first question for you <laughs> is where do you see yourself on the spectrum <laughs> it's, a, it's a loaded word where do you see yourself on the spectrum between at one end, the biohacker, researcher, you know, knee deep into the detail of the, you know, the pathways in the body and what happens when said chemicals and compounds go into the body, mm. all the way to the other extreme of entertainment. Yeah. You know, just making you laugh. Where do you sit on that spectrum in the health and fitness space and why? Probably smack bang in the middle because I'm. <laughs> I think I'm funny. I'm probably not that funny. Um, you have your moments. I have my moments. Um, I realise that there's a fine balance to take between entertaining people and I'd rather inspire people than entertain because entertainment is uh, momentary. 
inspiration can last a lifetime. So I want to be able to have that message where people sit up and they go, okay, this is why I might choose to go to bed earlier or eat better food or go and exercise. Um, and me making a joke around that, um, it's, it's, uh, for me, it's not going to really stick in someone's heart and soul to create change. On the other side of it, I've been very geeky and it didn't really lead me to anywhere wholly positive. It it led to somewhere very positive on a selfish level. So I got very into nutrition, all at the detailed level. And as I was trying to teach that to other people, I was like, no one else is even close to being on my level. And that's, that's not an elitist thing. It's just where my interest was through health and fitness. So I started to kind of step back and say, well, what, what information do people actually need here? Let, let's be honest with this. And it was that people just wanted simple ways to you know, get in better shape, to sleep better, and to essentially, which I now call uh, live an awesome life. So now my whole narrative is like, what can I do to help you live an awesome life? Well, I've got knowledge on eating better and moving better and thinking better. Now and again, I talk about kind of career and how you spend your time and all that kind of stuff because it, it's valuable. Like all of this stuff creates stress and I want people to live a low stress lifestyle. So probably bang in the middle because I think that is where most people need the help and they're also comfortable going towards. Mm -hmm. There's not many people I know in the health and fitness industry that have gone to that really geeky level and are really happy in all situations. Like quite often when you get really geeky, like your social life suffers because you're like, oh, well, can I have that drink? What if I go to bed late? Like all the rest of it. So there's, there's a real middle ground that I think leads to a lot of good stuff. Mm. I... I, like you, have you know, spent a bunch of time consuming information. And when it comes to reading, you probably want to read from the geeks, right? Because they're the guys that have you know, done the experiments, have got the evidence. You can then pull out from the evidence that what both relates to you and finding a way to make it relatable. Um, but in doing that, it's, it's exposing a couple of things for me. One those geeks only appeal to me <laughs> and people like me that are willing to go to that yep. level of depth and perhaps experiment with fringe things. And secondly, the more you learn, the more confusing things become. Mm -hmm. About a year ago, a year and a half ago, I thought I kind of knew everything there was to know around like get my body in shape and the relevant aspects of nutrition that are important. And I've probably read another 20, 30 books since then. Mm. And I'm more confused than ever because of the conflicting positions people are taking around what things are important or what things are disastrous. And where do you where do you sit between uh, you know people that you've that you've podcasted before that will take an extreme view saying protein ages you and don't touch it with a barge pole, mm. and then you the, you know the mass the mass kind of space talks about a high protein diet being healthy mm. that's just one aspect of two yep. very different perspectives on exactly the same thing so the more i read because i'm trying to not be dogmatic the more you can lead yourself to just kind of i don't know what health actually is mm. that is an amazing point and this is probably where i've not done a huge amount of learning in the last two to three years when it comes to nutrition because i feel i know a lot and enough to help myself, my friends, my family, our students, and my clients. So, you know, for example, on the extreme end, we teach an education program that looks at all this geeky stuff. And even I'll say to my students, learn all of this stuff, 
but really stand back because I'm going to be really honest, 80% of it is not relevant for most people. Mm-hmm. And I probably got to a lot, uh, a point in my learning where I was like, I don't need to keep going on this down this rabbit hole to know potentially what level of saturated fat is potentially going to be dangerous of, you know, whether it's 40 grams, 50, like whatever, like it's fairly irrelevant. And I think there's a point where you need to educate yourself to a standard and a level that allows you to have enough um, a decent level of critical thinking and objectivity yeah. so you can stand back and say okay common sense would say from what I know what is researched and me listening to my body that if I go to bed at this time and sleep for this amount of time I feel good and that if I eat these foods that are mainly whole foods and real then I kind of feel good and I look good and I'm happy and that I drink this much alcohol and it doesn't have a negative impact on my life so awesome i'm in a good place but because we're 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 in this consumption age where everything's instantly accessible by google and social media and we're always asking questions we're always trying to get more 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 i don't think people have allowed themselves to stand back and go do you know what i know enough and i'm happy to keep learning and filling in the gaps but you know this kind of constant obsession over more 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 like you say is kind of leading people down this rabbit hole that doesn't actually have a conclusion and I it's think, quite I often think not practical. People like black and white. Yeah, I oh, definitely. People like to know whether this thing is universally good or universally bad. Mm-hmm. I think we, you know, me included, would rather the answer. Just, just no, it depends and maybe and in, you know, in moderation. If it's bad, I'll stop doing it. If it's good, I'll, I'll carry on doing it. But that's say it depends because that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't help me understand how I behave when it when you say it depends. So I think generally speaking, whether it's a diet or losing weight, you know, black and white, give me the rules, I shall live by those rules until I break, mm-hmm. is really, I think, what most people look for. And we're in a world of mass curiosity and huge lots of information. It's very confusing. So where, where does that lead you in terms of your own health management? Like when you think of, the word health. Are you 37? Is it 32. Gee, th- do I look 37? I thought it was my age, man. <laughs> 32. <laughs> um, so you're 32, and you've been in this space for... To 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. I suspect health has meant different things for you yep. throughout your journey of finding your fitness and your career. What does health mean to you now? Not the canned answer of what you should say. What does health mean to you now? Under, me understanding that you are not a necessarily optimal guy geeking out on everything and you know playing around with all the parameters and all the variables to the nth degree. I hear that you're about balance, but what does health mean in that context for you right now? So on the front end, I coin it uh, feeling awesome. And on the back end, it, it's still a, a feeling of like vitality. So health for me is like, Am I, am I feeling strong, happy, and fit today? Like, do I wake up like on a deep cellular level and a and a top mental cognitive level? Do I feel awake? Do I feel alive? The reason why this is important to me is I want to get the best out of every moment of my life. So every day I live, I want to do some cool stuff. I'm self-employed, which means my energy, my concentration means a lot to me. It, it can be the make or break of earning a day's good crust or not. Um, I want to live 
and have a relationship that is meaningful. So I need energy for that relationship. Like we all know what we're like when we're grouchy. You know, we're, we're horrible to our, well, we're not horrible, but we're, you know, we're not great to be around with our partners. We don't want to do things. We don't want to, you know, go out for a long walk and experience something. We just want to sit at home and watch the TV. Um, so this feeling great changes everything else in my life. It changes my decision making. It changes my want and desire to go out and go to the gym or go for a run or play sport. So for me, it's, it's a feeling. And I think if you're feeling great, you probably know that at a cellular level, you're pretty good. At a mental level, you're, you're pretty good. Um, and as soon as that starts to decline, I just listen and say, okay, well, what have I let slip? Actually, it, you know, we're coming up to Christmas. Maybe this is good context. I'm not feeling as good. Well, I could probably pinpoint that to, you know, I've been drinking a bit more than usual, been going to bed a bit later, all the rest of it. And I probably know that once those variables tighten up again, mm -hmm. I'll be back to a good place. And everyone that's listening is going to struggle with that because it's another it depends answer. But I'm just listening to myself and responding. So as soon as I get something that's negative, I'll look at the variables and go, what can I change? For me, most of the time, it's heavily connected to my sleep. If I get a couple of nights bad sleep, I'm just a useless human being. So I'm very diligent around my sleep hygiene, my sleep environment means a lot you know, there's only so long I can last without having a high amount of fruits and vegetables. I just start to feel a little bit, it's almost like dirty on the inside. I'm kind of like, I just want some goodness. So I just listen to those things. And I know people are going to hate it, but um, I think if we listen to our body, it tells us a lot. I agree. And I, I think I'm, I'm getting to a point of that level of, I needed to go through the pain of learning to understand enough to feel confident as you say to have a critical eye on things to be aware of things that perhaps were just happening intuitively but i never i never caught them and gone oh that's a cause and effect moment mm. and now i'm at a point where i too have exactly the same response to sleep exactly the same response to you know a good couple of days of eating well versus a couple of days of not and that impact is fairly visceral for me but that's in the moment, right? So there's this, you know, this concept of living for the moment and instant gratification or in, uh, or feeling good in the moment. And then there's, you know, kind of paying it forward to your future self, you know, whether it be longevity, you know, uh, eliminating the risk of degenerative, degenerative diseases and that kind of thing. Mm. Is it instinctual again that you believe that you're doing your future self no harm in the way in which you're, you know, the decisions you're making around food? and drink and sleep and exercise. Do you have any concerns about age and disease and whether your environment is lining up to, you know, a healthy future? Because, you know, if you do, if you do read a lot, this seems to be a fairly hot topic right now. Mm. Autoimmunity, diseases, obesity, not so much obesity, but um, all these chronic autoimmune conditions that just pop out of nowhere. Yeah you know, degenerative brain health, that kind of thing. Do you worry about that kind of stuff or do you think, you know what, well, that's age and if it's going to happen, it's going to happen? I worry about it as soon as it starts to happen. Now that sounds silly because everyone else will do that, but most people will leave it to a point where it becomes a problem. So for example, uh, I've got osteoarthritis in my family. Um, a lot of my family members struggle with their hands, their joints, all that kind of stuff. And um, 
you know, if I woke up one day and my, you know, things started to get a little bit sore and I'm like, hang on, I'm 35, you know, my knuckles are getting sore, they're getting very clicky, I should probably do something about that. And I will react right there and then to change that because I know that I can reverse it very quickly. Most people will let it go on and on and they'll go to the doctor and then it gets quite bad and they're like, oh, now I suppose I should do something about it. Mm -hmm. There's already quite a bit of damage there. The cells have started to change. Like right. things well, have started you to become symptoms. You're kind of a long you're way knee down deep. The path. Yeah. So um, I'll react quickly. So that you know, and I think I'm still at a point in my life where I do want to want to live hard to a certain extent. Like I love travel, love going out, love going and doing cool things. And I can imagine in you know a year or two when I have kids and things settle in a different way, I'll probably think, well. Actually, I do want to get even more geeky about maybe feeling my best self, looking at my potential long-term health, maybe looking at cellular degeneration. Like, for example, the day that I wake up and go, oh, I'm a little bit wrinkly today. It's probably the day where I go, well, actually, I'm now going to get a little bit more stringent on my exposure to sun. I'm maybe going to look at foods that maybe support the skin a little bit more, maybe going to revise my skincare treatment. So at the moment, I think I'm doing very well compared to probably 95% of people because I've got all the bases covered. I have a great diet. I don't go too extreme or anything. Don't drink too much. Don't smoke, all that kind of stuff. But if we want to talk about the nuanced stuff, like the biohacking, until I'm challenged to do that, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole because I know it'll have a negative effect on some of the other stuff I want out of my life. You had... Um Someone called Ori Hefmaker on, yeah, yeah, yeah. on your podcast a while ago. Um, and I know you've spoken to other people, uh, the likes of Ben Greenfield, or those kind of yep. types that are really looking to, you know, zero in on longevity and youthfulness and the prevention of aging, cellular damage that leads to age and degeneration. And when you hear these guys speaking, they can make a compelling case that, oh, these things take decades to materialize, but I'll, I'll get on the bandwagon now and make sure that I don't, I don't go down that path. But the problem is, it just, it all feels a bit theoretical. Mm. And a lot of it is. And it is, right? And it's not all proven. The science isn't unequivocal yeah. on some of the, the things they suggest could happen. And I'm sure you get exposed to whether it be on your podcast or on the internet of people making some fairly audacious, bold claims about mm. if you eat this, if you have this lifestyle, if you do these things, you're going to fuck yourself up. Yeah. And how do you how do you not react to that and go, oh, yeah, maybe either I should change what I'm doing and or I should be promoting the removal of this or the addition of that? So with all of these arguments, I would have uh, kind of a baseline comparable. So... If we took the extreme end of what you're talking about, someone like you know Ben Greenfield's a great example, great guy, I've interviewed him, but he's a, an out-and-out -out biohacker. He'll do anything he can to improve fitness, longevity, all that kind of stuff. And let's say, and, and if this, by the way, if this stuff makes him 100% happy, then awesome. Yep, like props to whoever is doing it. But I know if I go down that path, I will alienate other parts of my life that I enjoy. So let's have some comparables. Ben Greenfield, for example, is on one end of the spectrum. I may be like 30, 40% away from him. And then like right down the other end of the scale, we've got some people in my family that 
their diet is just, you know, all over the place. You know, they're not sleeping well. Like there's just not a lot of care for health. Now I know family members in my family, there are 80 and, you know, they've eaten pretty badly for most of their life. And don't get me wrong, they've lived through periods of their life where food was pretty scarce, you know, war, all that kind of stuff, you know, it was not available like it was today. But if they can treat their body like that and be held up by modern medicine and get to 80 and be doing all right, and I'm doing all the stuff I'm doing now, I'm pretty confident I'm going to live to 100 in pretty good health, knowing what I know. So if we go to the Ben Greenfield extreme, Ben might be living to like 110, for example. Am I happy to live to 100 with a good level of health, but also, you know, have the, the, the more balanced side of going out a bit more and, you know, eating some of these foods that might be classed as bad or whatever? Like, everyone's got a fit where they want to be on the spectrum. And I'm really happy with where I'm at at the spectrum. And I know that I can easily pivot one way or the other, but there's a positive or a negative outcome. And that just has to fit my goals. And say, for example, you did start to notice arthritis or some cognitive decline. Like you start remembering, you start getting a bit foggy or forgetting things. And you're, you know, you're in tune enough to know that there's, there's a change. Do you think if you started experiencing symptoms that you would either be more open-minded or be more drastic in your measures of refining or geeking out on how you manage your health? I will be more drastic in my measures, 100%. The thing is, is what you alluded to like 10 minutes ago is it's like the unknown. So I could have osteoarthritis in my family and a doctor could say to me, oh, well, it could be X food or it could be foods that contain X. I'm like, okay, that's great. I have no way of knowing if that's me or not. And I've then got to make a decision. Do I take this person's advice and cut out, let's say, a food group? Like wheat, for yeah. example, is a common culprit. Yeah. Or, or a suggested common culprit. So I really enjoy bread, love beer, yada, yada, yada. You're now asking me to cut out all of those yes. foods for a hypothetical situation. I'm going to take my chances. I and, hear you. I hear and, you. But and so many other you, people you understand are doing why the same. I'm asking this, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. These are these are the topics. You know, wheat, dairy, sugar is is a common theme of things that seem we seem to be overdosing on. And there are a number of hypotheses, hypotheses suggesting that our bodies were not used to tolerating the level of overuse of those substances that we have in our common in our lives today, and long term chronic consumption at high doses is perhaps a cause or has some causal link between the kind of degenerative diseases that we're faced with as a modern society because things are all ballooning and going up and to the right mm. generally speaking in terms of autism and arthritis and you know skin conditions all that kind of stuff so something's going wrong at a societal level that's leading us down that path but I, I, I guess the point, and this is this is part of my journey, this discussion, mm. as it is asking you a question, but I think when you break the science down and you look at the solutions, the solutions are almost always do what you're doing right now, mm. right? You know, you can give me all the reasons and what's happening and why this might be causing what, but the recommendations are typically whole food, real food, get good sleep, get good exercise, have a spiritual or a mindfulness practice. Yeah. They all end up recommending roughly the same stuff unless you go dogmatic on a diet. Yeah. And you and me will get questions like this all the time. You'll get 
an email and someone will go, oh, you know, I've heard about lean uh, wheat, sorry, and I've got this condition and I've got this pain and da da da, da. should I cut out wheat from my diet? And it's like, okay, well, maybe that's a factor, but hang on, you're not going to bed on time, you barely eat any fruits and vegetables, you're not getting any exercise, you're not doing any weight-bearing exercise to support your muscles and joints, yep. um, you know, you're, you're binge drinking and binge eating, like there's so much going on before we even worry about the wheat. So we can take the wheat out, but there's still so much stress on the system that sort out the system. And that's why, you know, when I talk to a client or a student or anything, I'm like, you can go down whatever rabbit hole you want, but every client, every person should be getting to bed on time, drinking enough water, all these basics. And until you do that, you can't look and problem solve a specific issue because you don't know what the cause is. It could be wheat, but it could be sleep. It could be that they're chronically dehydrated all the time. It could be so much. So that's why, you know, it's so hard to sell the basics to our clients and people listening. But the basics is what it all comes down to. And I'd like to think if you've got 10 healthcare practitioners in the room, we'd all agree about this kind of stuff. So if we can all agree about that, people should be going away and doing it. Again, it's that need for to pin a problem on something specific because our brains are wired to have that kind of logical, this happens because of this one specific thing of my life in my life. And I've just changed that one thing. We're good. Yeah. And the reality is it's these big rocks that you're talking about. And um, it's just not always sexy to hear, is it? Nope. But then that comes down to people's value proposition. Like if you really valued your health, you'd make those changes. But if you don't value your health, you'll look for a quick win. Oh, I might just remove wheat. If that solves all my problems, then I won't bother changing. Things will be easy. Nice one. I'll buy some gluten-free food. Bob's your uncle. And I'm like, no. If you, want to leave, if you want to live to your 80, 90, 100, and you want to be in great health, and you want to feel alive every day, you've got to do the basics nearly every day. Got to go to bed on time. Got to eat fruit and vegetables. You've got to do all that kind of stuff. You can't keep skipping it. And otherwise, you're going to end up at the same place, and you're going to look for another shortcut. I agree, man. I agree. I want to change gears on you just slightly. Do it. So um, back in oh no, a couple of months ago, you got a little heat on your Facebook community for... Uh, a post you put out there that was a bit polarizing. Uh, it came across to some people a little bit judgmental. Um, it was it was a post about snoozing. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember that one? I, I, remember what, I was wondering what you're going <laughs> down. I was like, what have I done? <laughs> and it was it was a it was a well-hearted message around snoozing. And yep. saying I don't snooze and you shouldn't snooze or something to that that effect. And some people took offence that um, they snooze and either their life's good or why are you judging their decisions and that got me thinking on, on my lead up here there seems to be more than ever this this line you need to tread so finely between motivating people to act and holding them accountable versus singling them out judging them or presupposing they're doing something that they're not mm -hmm. And when you have this virtual relationship with a growing audience like you, how answer this whether you want to talk about your journey of finessing your message or generally the challenge that you're faced with, like anyone else who's trying to do a business online digitally. You're not always going to meet everyone's needs, mm. but how are you thinking about this? How are you thinking about encouraging the right behaviours without alienating people because you're perhaps suggesting you're on authority or you're 
better than them because you, you've got a better mindset or you've just got more discipline or you've got more motivation. Talk to me about that challenge and if you've recognised it. Yeah, so that post, um, I think the problem with that post is I didn't put enough like caveats in. Like there's all day, there's always days where we snooze like it's the weekend and we want to lie in, it's nice and warm, it's fun, all the rest of it. The, the crux of my post was if you're wanting to hit your alarm every day, and want to question what you're getting up for. Like, you don't want to face the day. Like, most of the days that I get up, I'm pretty excited. Now, I have to be really honest. If I'm not excited about getting up today, what am I fearful of what's coming that day? And it might be that my work day sucks today. It might be that, yeah, I'm self-employed and today I've got to do my emails. So actually, I'm lying in bed going, ugh, like, I just don't want to do my emails. It's not fun. So actually... I can sit there and go, I have to accept that that's part of my job. Or could I say, actually, I have the power to change that. Why don't I create my business so I can be a lot less attached to my emails? Maybe I can get a PA. Maybe I can do whatever. The thing is, there's always a solution. And I'm not saying the solution is something someone should always implement. But the thing is, if people don't want to face the solution, they want to challenge it and kind of disregard it. And, and then kind of call you an idiot. Now we do have a problem on social media now where everyone's offended by everything. Mm -hmm. There's a massive- um, You must uh, get a lot there. Uh, or you generally your audience are well-hearted and they- I think I do quite well to put enough context in a lot of my posts to kind of alleviate like upsetting too many people. But even um, over the weekend, there was some stuff happening in, in, in sport. And um, like a, a friend of mine, James Haskell, he talks about this all the time. He's an England rugby player. And even in top sport, everyone's always like criticising everything everyone does. And it's like, hang on, is it your place to judge? Is it relevant to you? Is it like, have you understood the context? And the thing is, social media gives a voice to everyone. And that's a good and a bad thing. Um, but what I want people to do when they view things on social media is say, hang on, I get the context that this person's talking in. It's just not relevant to me not relevant to my life, where I'm at, what I'm like. So there's there's no reason for me to actually respond aggressively or negatively. That's the bit I don't get. Yeah. If it doesn't work for you, just, just move on. Yeah, just move forward. But not some people just rise yeah. to the bait, right? Or they think it's bait. Yeah. I'm to call you out for it, right? Yeah. And then you know nothing good is going to come from you starting a war online, right? Yeah. Never, never going to end well. And that's the problem. I, you know, and I'll be honest, I don't have the time to have 30 arguments with 30 different people on a Facebook post and challenge them about where they are at in their life because they're not ready to look at that. So if someone challenges my post about snoozing and I'm like, I'm going to challenge you and ask you why you want to snooze every day and not get out of bed. I'm going to challenge you and say you're not enjoying your life enough because I might be being the dick right now, but if I can have a breakthrough and in three, four, five, six months time, you're living a better life as a result of me challenging the way that you're living your life, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna accept that challenge. But the reality is I didn't have time to go through that with 30, 40, no. however many people on that social media post. Confession, I snooze probably once every single day. Uh -huh. But I, I have excitement to get up. It's just, it's a habit. Okay. You know what I mean? It's like, so, it's, it's a warm-up routine. Yeah. It's like, I'll press it just once and, you know, my head's starting to turn over, but I don't want to get out of bed. Just, just right now. Do yeah. you know what I mean? So but, I, I can sympathise with people that go, yeah. you know what, I can be productive. I can be happy. My life's good, but I like to hit the snooze button, button once and I still have loads of time to get the stuff done in the morning, yeah. ready to start work. It's less about that post. It's more about that, find balance between 
coming across good-hearted with the right intent and not alienating a portion of the people that potentially receive that message. And I don't think you've got a perfect answer because I don't think there is one, but how are you after, when you have these examples where you reflect and go, you know, maybe I would have done things slightly differently. Mm. Where are you at now on how to thread that needle of maximum benefit and positivity of the least amount of upset and frustration? So I think through my message, I write it out, I come back to it, I review it again and say, right, have I given it enough context to enough people so that I kind of get my point across in the best way possible? And then if I feel that I've done, done the due diligence on that piece of information I'm putting out, I then say anyone that doesn't quite get it or gets angered by it or it doesn't resonate, I can't help those people. And you just have to accept that your, your message isn't right for everyone. And, you know, for every 70 people that say yes, 30 people are going to say, no, you're an idiot. And that's that's just life. Like, look it's right now. Nice. Yeah. Look right now what's happening in British politics. Like, it's the perfect example of how people get divided on an opinion and yeah. how, how dirty it can get. And I've just accepted that through years of putting myself out there that portion are going to like it, portion aren't. And if the portion that are liking it supports kind of my, my message and my business and I help people, then that's actually mission accomplished. And there's a lot of people out there that think and want that everyone, if they do things right, everyone will like them and it'll all be it okay. Like, you, no one wants it's to impossible. be hated, No, you can't, you can't do that. No. You can't be a leader yeah. and have everyone universally like you and like no. every decision you make. And if we're, we're looking to move forward and grow as people and build, you'll actually probably polarise people even more as you, you get older and you get further along in your journey. If I look at some of the people that I look up to, um, Jamie Oliver is a perfect example. There's loads of people that hate his work and there's loads of people that go, that guy is an idiot. Like just the way he does things on TV, all that kind of stuff. But he's a hugely successful guy who changes a huge amount of people's lives but polarizes opinion. It's going to happen. You just need to get comfortable yep. with that as a, a very likely outcome. Mm. And I think that's ego, right? It's um, our inbuilt ego doesn't want to get bruised, doesn't want to get hurt. And you need to be bold to accept some, some opinion that might be aired, right? For example, some of the stuff that Michelle and I are doing on, on adaptation is, for example, exposing Michelle in ways that a year ago she would never, ever want to do. Mm. She didn't want to be in front of a camera, didn't want to work, definitely didn't want to do a workout in front of a camera mm. <laughs> in her leggings or, or talk about some of her issues that she's dealing with. But I find it quite liberating once you let go of what's the worst that can happen. Yep. What's the worst that can happen if someone now judges me because I lived my, led my life that way previously or I'm doing things this way? Or who cares? Everyone's all wrapped up in their own shit mm. to really care about whether you look great or not, whether you've got everything dialed in or not, or whether you've um, offended two people or not. But it's difficult. I think it's difficult for all of us, really, to feel comfortable putting yourself out there, knowing that you're going to get some hate back. I think the advantage I have is that I will always be humble in defeat. If I get something wrong, like that post is a perfect example. I was like, do you know what, guys? I need to go away and think about this narrative and the message and redefine it and then come back to it. 
Most people won't do that. They'll take it down, they'll run away, tail between their legs, and two days later they'll, they'll pop up again with something different. I will admit when I'm wrong. I'll admit that I haven't got it all worked out. I'll wear my heart on my sleeve and I'll tell people how I'm feeling, how I'm thinking. You know, I, I've just recently done Movember and the first two days of Movember, I fucking hated it. Really hated it. And I tell everyone, I told everyone and everyone was shocked that I went a, a level deeper on my emotions to say right now I've woken up and I can see something in the mirror that I do not like. And I knew that in a week or two's time it would be okay. I knew that. But people were shocked and almost felt that it wasn't okay that I shared I that was level. Like rock solid. Like, yeah. What, what, you know, come on. So exactly. Looks, I can understand how people would have reacted to that. But that, like you deleting that post and you exposing how you felt when you shaved off your beard, it's two, I think, fantastic decisions you made. Fantastic, because it just exposes you, the person, without authority. And I've always got my shit together mm. because I think that that can alienate people too. Mm. So here's the next question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like your your talk to uh, the way you talk to to me, the way you talk in your podcast, uh, any video I've ever seen, confident, eleven authority. There's usually a level of pragmatism. I really like that. Um, but you come across where you've got your shit together. There's moments where you can come across slightly judgmental mm -hmm. because you've got your shit together and there's an assumption mm -hmm. people listening haven't. Yeah. But I think that's just nuance and that's, you know, it's just going to happen from now and again. Yeah. But you're very strong. Yeah. Are you, what's your self-talk? Are you nice to Ben? And what I mean by that is, I, I know personally for me, I give myself a lot of shit. The way I speak to me at times is like, I wouldn't expect a father to talk to a kid like that or a leader to talk to an employee they care about so much. But sometimes I can give myself shit. Mm. That wasn't good enough. When you're lazy or why, why do you fuck that day up? You've got nothing done today. Yep. This day and I would just give myself, beat myself up. And I think I'm a positive person. Yep. But I struggle with that shit all the time. And I just wondered, for someone who's so outwardly confident and with who has expressed so much authority, what's your relationship like with yourself? What's that self-talk like? Mm, I've never been asked that question before. Uh, interesting. So I'd say 80 to 90% of the time, it's all pretty positive, but it's been a learned behaviour. So I've been self-employed ever since I was 19. I've built a business that's grown and grown year on year ever since I've owned it. I've got a social profile that's grown ever since I've owned it. So I've had to, and that's not uh, an ego piece, that's set in the tone to say, I've gone through a lot of layers where I've put pressure on myself to grow and build and evolve. And there's been points in my journey where it's had a negative outcome. So even when it's been going well, I've kind of stood back and gone, oh, well, you could have done this better and you should have done that better. The reality is some days are going to be great. Some days are going to be okay. Some days are going to be shit. And that's just life. And I quite often check myself when I'm kind of like, oh, you should have done this today or you should have done that. And I'll quite often stand back and go, do you know what? I'll do it tomorrow. And that's okay. Like, it's fine. And I just reflected on it over the years to know that it only ever had a negative outcome if I was too hard on myself. So even if I'd set an expectation where I was going to get through my to-do list today, my to-do list had seven things on it, and I did three of those things. So the immediate response would be, I set out with a plan. 
I only achieved, you know, uh, 40% of my plan. You're an idiot. And it's like, no, actually, let me stand back. Why couldn't I achieve that? Well, I achieved that because my mum came round and wanted a cup of tea. And then we went for a dog walk. And actually, it was beautiful. I got some extra steps in. Yeah. You know, I had a good time with my mum. It was all cool. So I didn't get as much work done, but I had a good chat with my mum. And then I had to have a management call because we had an issue in our supply chain. And actually, that was really good because that issue could have come up when we were three months down the line and we had twice as much product going out the door or something like that. So it's about standing back. And this is why I love journaling for people that are struggling with kind of their mental narrative. It's like write stuff down and you'll see how ridiculous that thought actually is or how hard you are on yourself. And, you know, this is why when I talk about mental health and why I did in Movember is I want people to talk to either someone else to get context. So quite often you might speak to your wife because she gives you good context. Mm -hmm. I do the same with my wife, she gives me context. When I don't have that, what do you do? Well, write it down, reflect, do a little bit of five minute meditation, go out for a walk to allow yourself some, some mental space. So I think it's just been a learned habit. I was very hard on myself when I was younger and it came from a place of trying to prove myself to my dad uh, who left our home when he was young. So I had I was just out and out to just be successful and try and get noticed. And it wasn't until I was about 26, I kind of had to change that behavior. And I'm lucky that I'd already got a lot of ingrained habits that would make me successful. So I've already got a lot of patterns like I get up early and I get on with some key tasks in my day. I go to the, you know, I do some fitness every day. I eat good food. I'd already had a lot of um, inbuilt habits that are good for success. And while they weren't built in a healthy way, they're now uh, expressed in a healthy way. So you believe that, for the most part, you're kind to yourself. I am you, now, yeah. You give yourself uh, the support that you need when either you fuck up or don't meet your expectations. Yeah, I think you have to have a certain amount of failure to get there as well. Like um, with my health, I've had some failures. With my fitness, I've had some failures. And financially, you know, I've spent a year nearly going bankrupt. So if I look at a day in my business and I'm like, OK, today didn't go that well, but I'm not going bankrupt and I survived that. So actually, it doesn't really matter. In the grand scheme of things, I've got a roof over my head. Mm -hmm. I've got a wife that loves me. Yeah. I've got a dog that jumps up on my lap and always wants to cuddle. I've got a fridge full of food. I've got mates that always want to go for a beer. I'm actually all right. It's, it's gratitude, isn't it? It's, it's what Tony Robbins talks about and many others, which is if, if you could just spend more of your time honestly and with intention being grateful for the small and some significant things in your life that are going swimmingly well, the fact that this little system went down for half an hour just pissed you off because you were not as productive grand scheme of things it doesn't matter mm. in the moment you can get yourself riled right mm. i know i can happened yesterday you know trying to post something and facebook just was not being not being friendly mm. and I, I had to catch myself after about an hour and a half of not doing anything obsessing about what's happening just going this is not a good place to be mm. so i'm still going through what you're going through which is i'm really hard on myself um i'm very optimistic I'm very futuristic. Mm. I care deeply about what we're trying, what we're working on, and I have faith that we're going to get there. But day to day, I think my expectations are bigger than the reality of what I can achieve. And as mm. a result, I often am dissatisfied, and that talk can sometimes just spiral. Not mm. in a devastating or depressive way, but I haven't got out of, haven't found ways to get out of that loophole and like reset. 
Mm. But sleep does help massively. Yeah, sleep just adds the secret sauce to your to your brain. So in that scenario with yourself, I quite often have, um, so I talk a lot about being really organized with your time. Like when it's work time, you're working, when you're off, you're like you're off, you fully disconnect from your work. And I try and um, disassociate from my problems in that, let's say I have a really crap day today in, in my work and I've decided that I'm, I'm stopping work at six o'clock. The chances are if I work past six o'clock anyway, I might be pretty useless, Pro productivity is crap. Whatever problem, I promise myself that when I go through the door out of my office, I get rid of that problem. I'm not that's carrying that problem into yeah, my relationship. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really important. And you just have to say to yourself as you walk through that door, I've got an issue. I'm not 100% happy, but I'm going to go away. I'm going to enjoy my evening with my wife, friends, family, whatever. And tomorrow I'm going to tackle that problem on a fresh head because me worrying about it now is going to solve absolutely fuck all because I haven't got the mental capacity or energy to even deal with it. So tomorrow's a new day. Enjoy the evening. We'll tackle it tomorrow. That's good advice. It's hard. It's, yeah, it's not easy. It takes practice. Like anything, it takes practice. So it's about happiness. So there's, there's a bit of a theme going on in both my life and a couple of others that I've been interacting with about is happiness... Um, a worthy or realistic goal. Some people would say happiness is fleeting. When people express this idea of an idyllic and happy life, they're demonstrating small little moments of where they felt good. But for the most part, people are struggling. Mm -hmm. Struggle is real, life is a struggle, and we have these moments that we can re recollect and pull out of the memory banks of, oh, that was a good day, or that, that was great when that happened. Mm -hmm. When you think about happiness, do, do you also think it's fleeting and it's episodic? Or do you believe for yourself and others that you can be happy, not just in the moment or happy about thinking about the future, but you can stay happy for the whole day? Or, you know, talk to me a bit about that. Do you struggle with happiness or does it just seem to... Yeah, I think we all do. Roses. I think we all do because it's not something that's definable. It's a feeling, and a lot of people don't like feelings or getting too close to them um, because I think it's an unpracticed behaviour, like getting really close to your feelings all the time. I, I genuinely believe that happiness is fleeting, it's episodic, as you describe. I think our job as people is to string as many moments together so it feels as happy as possible for as long as possible. So if we take the extreme end of uh, promoted happiness, so if we think about the guy that's a yoga teacher on a beach in Bali and he does four hours teaching a day and the rest of the time is you know, drinking a chai latte in front of the sun and everything's nice and he only needs to earn a thousand pounds a month because he lives in a shack and you know he's very happy because there's a lot of there's, there's a low level of stress so that's the extreme end and then on the other end you've got people that are you know going to work and you know uh, fighting to get their kids out the door and you know stop them from arguing you know all these kind of general problems that we're all struggling with and what i'm trying to do i suppose and you are as a health coach is you're trying to break down each segment of people's day and lives and say okay well, let's, um, you know, we've talked a lot about sleep. Let's work on your sleep. 
so that you've got the mental energy and capacity to look to change other things and be happy about those changes. So let's look at your work environment. Okay, how can we string together more happy moments in your work environment? Could you challenge your boss? Could you change your routine? Could you work from home two days a week? Who knows? Let's look at your gym environment. And what we're doing is we're slowly taking chunks of our environment and our day and trying to make them momentarily happier or our view and experience of them happier so that by the end of the week, rather than being like, oh, this week I was 40% happy, we're getting to like 60% happy, 70% happy. And I think that's what we're trying to do as health coaches. We're trying to string together this episodic relationship that we have with happiness so that in the grand scheme of things, things are pretty good. So that when I ask you every day, how are you feeling? Mm. You're like, do you know what, Ben? I'm, actually, today I'm pretty damn good. And it's rare that I hear, oh, actually, today's a bit shit. I think this is coming from, I think the Instagram culture is is definitely it has the benefit of being hugely motivational if you follow the right people and their intentions are good and you're in a good place to receive that message but more often than not instagram could just be a reminder of all the things you don't have you know it's depending on who you follow right yeah. and there's a lot of ego and there's a lot of narcissism and you may have a guilty pleasure to like seeing that ego because for mm. some reason it's entertaining or what, what have you, or you think it will be inspirational. And I think what that creates, and I, I'm not sure if you agree, but it creates this really high bar of what, you know, happiness and fulfillment and yeah, just joy feels like when the reality is, at least in my experience, is I've had a phenomenal year this year. We've had, we've been to Australia, we've been to Florida with the kids. We've, you know, gone through the, the business journey. We've had great birthdays. The kids have had great time. We've had so much great time. Mm. But day to day, it's not like as if it's a 10 out of 10. I'm jumping up and down and it's just like idyllic. It's a grind. Mm. Every day's a grind, but my memory of it was, oh, that was a good year. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel the same way? Yeah. Is that, is that normal? Yeah. Is... No, I think it is normal. And this is why sort of controlling your social media consumption and who you're following, I think is very important. Like if you if you follow me and, you know, 100% of my posts are always rosy and motivating and it's amazing, you know that I'm fucking bullshitting it because no one's life is like that. We all have an argument with our missus now and again or a bad day at work or we eat some crap food that makes us feel shitty or we get a bad night. Like it happens to everyone. So if people are not, stringing together that narrative and all you're getting is a good stuff i wouldn't i wouldn't trust them because while you might find their information motivating and you're enjoying it deep down in your subconscious is making you feel bad that you're not you know a lot closer to them um i listened to a fascinating interview between um gary vaynerchuk and tom bilyeu who runs the uh, impact theory great great show and um uh, a woman phoned in and he said, uh, hey, how you doing? Um, we, we spoke to each other a year ago, like, where have you moved with your business? What have you done? All the rest of it. And she was like, oh, well, I'm having a lot of trouble. Like, I'm comparing myself to Kim Kardashian. Like, she's made it. And I'm like, hang the f on. Like, so this is a real problem. Like, people are comparing themselves to people so far away with so much money, so much good stuff, so much happiness, so much of a tit job and all that stuff and i'm like come on be honest like where are you at what can you work on so that tomorrow's better than the day before That's what let's just about. be honest it's incremental yeah isn't it? small wins every yeah. day and i say to people when i 
when I um, this, this happens all the time when I do seminars and people come up after me um, and have a chat and I'm like they're struggling with the process of change because there's a lot of bad habits in front of them that they've got to change and I'm like okay let's talk to you talk to me about your habits you want to be over here and you've tried that before but you binge kind of back again you reverse because you try and go too extreme too soon let's come back to today let's take let's say we uh, focus on this week and we, we lose a pound of fat and we change one habit. Would you be happy that in 10 weeks time, we've lost 10 pounds of body fat, we've changed 10 of your bad habits? Tell me if you would be happier or not than today. Yeah, I would be really happy. So why do you now have an inability to be comfortable, confident in yourself to change one habit and lose one pound of fat this week? And it's because we're comparing ourselves to everyone else that seemingly have... The contrast is so great. Yeah. And I'm like, sometimes you've got to turn yourself off to all of that stuff. Mm. It's like in business, you always get the term, oh, that guy's an overnight success. No, you noticed me when I was six years into my journey. I've been grinding for six years to get to where I am. It's the same kind of thing. And... Um, you know, if you, if you look... mind plays tricks on you, don't you? Yeah. It does. But this is where I think you have to listen to stories of good people. So one thing that's grounded me in my journey is I like to read autobiographies because I like to be grounded by the struggle of other people. So I've read all of Richard Branson's books and all that kind of stuff. And I know that he had this struggle, you know, lost all his money here, this business burned, he had a health challenge here. I know all of that stuff. So I know that in five years time, the chances are I'm probably going to go through something similar. And hopefully it's not as grand because I've got a bit of a, um, a step up. You know, I've had exposure to that already and hopefully the fall's not as great, but it's going to happen somewhere, somehow. So I think listening to the stories of others of great people is, is important because um, life, life isn't roses. I've got two last questions for you, man, and then let's wrap this up. Okay. They are uh, interconnected to what we've just spoke about. Okay. Um, You've spoken about having some aspects that are now automated and ritualistic to some degree in your life that you know are go-to ways of creating a level of flow. But do you want to just be a little bit more specific, like whether it's a morning ritual or, you know, what are your go-to means of creating a reliable mindset or a re reliable place of flow where you feel good, you like yourself and you're willing and able to be creative, productive and get shit done. What are your go-to three to five things or just talk me through your morning ritual if you have one? Yeah. So sleep is number one, getting a good like six and a half to seven and a half hours of sleep a night. That's number one. Secondly is... Is that non-negotiable for you now? Um, it's not always doable. Um, I'd say two nights a week I sleep five hours and that's probably due to work, travel, something that's come up. But I'm, I'm pretty, pretty diligent on it. Yeah. Okay. Second to that is having long periods of time in my day when my phone is off. So in the morning, like most people get up and they turn their phone on. I don't turn my phone on unless I haven't checked in towards the back end of the day before. And I'm usually checking in on my business rather than social media and stuff like that. Okay. It's the best way that I can keep my mind where it needs to be. Simple Such as that. Such a distraction. It's, it's, a good it, it's a nightmare. Uh, third is just eating great food. I try and eat as much fruit and vegetable as humanly possible. I uh, love like having green smoothies or I just blend up loads of stuff because I just really value how that makes me feel and my digestive system, my digestive system as well. Um, 
a good three or four workouts a week. You know, I feel like it's a it's a good stress reliever, allows me to focus my energy on something, allows me to forget about the day. Um, and probably fifth is a mixture of kind of downtime slash walking. Um, I like getting outside. I like the clarity that, that, you know, being in nature has. So I think if I have those things down, I'm, I'm living and I'm in a really good place. So you're talking about five key pillars that you would want to have balanced throughout the week. But do you have a means of going from I'm asleep to I'm on it? You know, do you have that piece down pat? The reason I ask this is I've, I've found that I need to reliably do the things that I've now realized work every day if I want to reliably get to a point of feeling a certain way so then I can go be productive and go do the things I want to do. So I have a, a bit of a ritual and for some people, they can think of anything worse than things I do in the morning. Yeah. But it works for me. Yeah. What does what does the morning look like for you? So you hit the ground running. Because some of the things you spoke about are sleep, absolutely, but some of those other aspects won't have come into your life just then. Yeah. Uh, so because I'm self-employed, it's very important that I write my to-do list the day before I go to bed. So okay. as soon as I get up, I know what I'm doing. So I get up, I usually wake up naturally, like half five to half six, usually. Um unless I'm going to the gym. So usually twice a week, I go to the gym at 6.30 in the morning with my brother. And I enjoy that because it's sociable. and We yeah. push each other in the gym. Otherwise, I'll get up. I've got a mocha pot. My mocha pot takes about seven minutes to boil. And during that seven minutes, I'm just I'm moving my body. I usually walk outside in the cold, fresh air. And I'm thinking about my day. Like, What do I want to achieve today? Okay. What does my day look like? Where am I going? What am I doing? Who do I need to speak to? I'm just feeling centered and calm about it all. Then I'll go upstairs, you know, open my diary, flip open my laptop, or I might be going away and I might be going to the train station. So it's just about allowing space and freedom to really get centered on what today is all about for me. And it might be that I'm only working two hours and then I'm going off to spend the day with my family. But I'm still kind of thinking and feeling about how I want that day to pan out. So like, you know, I think people have... Um, a real inability to go from one situation to another and get the most out of that situation. Now, this is going to sound weird unless you really hone in on it. So I talked to you about walking out of the door and making the decision that I've left my work day behind and I'm now going into my home life, which is a completely different environment. That means I need to behave differently. I need to be a different Ben to the Ben that I was yeah. an hour ago. But most people will just walk out of their office, walk into their house like a whirlwind, you know, speak frustratingly to their wife, be short with their kids or the rest of it. I'm like, you've got to stop, even if it's a physical stop. Like before I work, walk through this door, I need to change my behavior. And it might be something as simple as like, well, I'm going to rugby today. It's my rugby game. How do I want to be at rugby? Do I want to be aggressive today? or affirmative or uh, do I want to be a bit of a conductor do I want to be funny is like I'm always trying to look at how I want to behave because I know I'll get the most out of it if I'm going to my family's for a meal how do I want this day to go I want there to be lots of laughter I want to tell jokes I want to so I'm always thinking planning about your social life is just as important yeah I'm but I'm planning my behavior yeah. because I want to get the most out of that situation like before you turned up today 
how do I want this interview to go with Steve? Okay, I, I want to be laid back. I want to be calm. So like, I stopped working 10 minutes before you turned up. And I'm like, I'm just going to, you know, just relax so that nothing else is on my mind. My, my phone's off. Like, I'm always thinking about getting the most out of every situation. I think that's really that's important. Answer, man. Yeah. That was a good answer. Last question for you then, Ben. Yeah. Um, and this is a bit of a... Uh, it's a bit of a reflective society type question, big question. Um, but when you think about the information age we're in today, I'm 37 years old. My earlier earliest memories of being a young kid and into my early teens was there really wasn't much information available other than the TV and the encyclopedia that my mum was roped into buying from the salesman or the library around the corner. Beyond that and, you know, what other people tell you, that was the extent of the knowledge that you had. Mm. And with the with the rise of the internet and now social media being just so ingrained into day-to-day -day life, um, we're swimming in information in a way which I think is very destructive. It's completely liberating. It fulfills all our curiosities and all our reward systems. But at the same time, it's overwhelming. As you kind of project... 10 years ahead mm. and you think about what how does how does this world evolve the world that we live in you know first world countries how do we evolve to a point where we are not going backwards because i think it's stated that um for the first time in human history and i don't know whether this is over sensationalized but our kids as a as an average are going to lead a shorter life expectancy than us because of chronic illness and just the way that some of our decisions have taken us. How do we get a control on this information age so people don't continue to feel overwhelmed and depressed and get in depressive states and just feel that life's too much because there's just so much stimulus? You spoke about your airplane mode thing. Perhaps that's going to be part of your answer, but what needs to happen at a higher level that this information age serves us versus continues to take away from the virality and the excitement of the way life should be. You're right. My answer is going to be about putting ourselves on aeroplane mode. Um, I think we're too connected. We're too uh, intertwined into everything else that's happening. We're, we're, we're too reactive. You know, notifications on Facebook, things popping up, emails. Um, I read a statistic from Mel Robbins the other day. She stated that... Um, 31% of people check their email in their sleep. Now, I don't know how true that is. That might be an American statistic. Let's just say it's a third of that. So even if 10% of people are doing that, like like where, are, where, where and how are we living and why are we living? Social media, mobile phones are an incredible invention, but they've permeated every segment of our lives. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're sitting at dinner, we're checking our phone. Like we're just doing so much on our phone. I'm it's like, an hang easy on, distraction, right? it's an easy distraction. But you've got to ask yourself, like, what's the interest there? Like if you're out for dinner with your wife and Facebook's more interesting, fuck, like you need to look at your relationship with your wife. Like, no but offense. It happens a lot. It happens and a I lot. I do it. I do it. I, I'll catch myself doing it. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you put it away and you go, constant. Yeah. Because it's habitual. Yeah. But everyone does it. You know, you go and take the kids to school and you don't want to talk to people today. So you just get your phone out because it's like, don't talk to me. I'm doing work. Yeah. I'm not doing work. I'm just, I'm just surfing through Facebook. But it's our crutch, right? It's yeah. our dependency. People feel completely 
isolated without a phone. I know I do. If I left the house today and I didn't have my phone, I'd be freaking out. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. How? Where do you think this is going, or where do you think it needs to go? I just how think does this evolution of everyone needs work? to decide on their own boundaries. So everyone's saying that they don't have any time to do anything, but it's because every moment of every day that time is filled with the phone. And sometimes it's uh, productive and sometimes it's not productive. So you look at your day, you get up in the morning, you prepare your breakfast, you maybe watch the news while you eat your breakfast, yada, yada, yada. And all of these gaps are filled with the, the phone. So it feels like we don't have any free time because we're medicating it with the mobile phone. But actually, I'm a business owner. I'm busy. I play sport. I do loads of stuff. I've still got plenty of free time because I'm not attached to my phone. Because I decide what I want to do because I don't have the interruption from something else. So if you're not doing anything, the first thing you'll do is pick up your phone and you can easily sit there for an hour on Facebook, can't you? We can all can. You go on YouTube, you could lose three hours. So time is being taken from us. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing if that time is being used productively and you're enjoying it. But when people are coming to me, clients, and they're like, I don't have time to go to the gym, I don't have time to do that, I feel mentally stressed, I feel fatigued, I feel burnt out and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, let's strip back your day and look at what you're doing and where your time is. And when people actually look at it, they don't know where they spend their time because the phone is now something that just happens. You now just have the stats is. on the phone. So you can say, give me your phone for a second. Yeah. Can I just have a look at screen time? You can. Ooh, and it's hello. scary. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. my mind is through the roof at the minute. Now, I've got a business intention, but still, yeah. it's still not productive. Man. Yeah. So I, I think that's the right answer. Do you, so you're saying it, it, it the buck stops with you. Of course it versus does. Versus it stops with Facebook or it stops with the government or it stops with these other big tech companies. I'm sure they'll find other ways of being socially responsible. But do you think the onus is really on the consumer versus the producer? It's always on the consumer. Like... Facebook has a responsibility to its shareholders to increase engagement to get more revenue in the bank. Mm -hmm. So they can do everything they can psychologically with your brain through manipulating it with that app to keep you on the phone. And that's why I spend so little time on Facebook because I cannot control my behavior on Facebook. <laughs> so I don't go on it because I know that yeah. it's making me scroll. Yeah. And I go on and I'll say, I might be like, Steve's birthday today. I'm going to just jump on Facebook and wish him happy birthday. 15 minutes later, I'm watching a video about <laughs> a Spartan in Jamaica doing a handstand. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, what, what was I on Facebook for? Happens all the time. So we've, I've got to notice that. I've got to notice that I don't like the environment and how it makes me behave. So I don't put myself in the environment. That's why I rarely use Facebook. Ben, this is a pleasure. Thank you so much for Thank having you. me in your humble abode. And, um, yeah, I guess there's a part two at some point when uh, when I overcome some of my demons, but this has been fantastic. I wish you all the best in your career over the next year or so. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and I'll speak to you soon, man. Thank you. Oh, what a great discussion with Ben Coomber. If you like that and want to know more about Ben and where to find his stuff online, then check out the show notes where you'll find links to his website, his social media presence, as well as the products that he sells. But for now, guys, Adaptation is all about providing you with the tools and expert knowledge to help you improve and optimize your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. Take care. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adaptation.